Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, I'm Sarah Pollock, and this is In the News from the Irish Times, where we take a close look at the stories that matter. Today, how Ireland's eating disorder patients have been forgotten by the health service. Well, when she, when she became ill, she was almost 20. She was fun. She was smart. She was a joy to be around. When she laughed, everybody laughed with her. This is Sam. Her daughter, Rachel, a young student nurse, has been battling anorexia for the past six years. She had good friends. She was a loyal friend. She loved sport. And since she became unwell, she's got very withdrawn She never feels good enough. Rachel has been in and out of hospital services, but over the years, she and her family have struggled to find the adequate care that she needs for her eating disorder. Now we are six plus, seven plus years later, and she's still struggling. She's had a a long, hard road, a tough fight, but she's still fighting. In Ireland, a lack of services and specialist treatment beds are leaving patients with very few options. And parents, just like Sam, are looking for answers. It's just, it's just not, it's just not enough. Our numbers, I mean, we're hearing every day from BodyWise that the numbers are growing and growing and growing. And, 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 and still the facilities aren't there. And many of the services that are out there don't have experience with eating disorders, therefore don't understand what it's all about. We still have parents who are being blamed. Um, We still have parents who are being told, get your daughter to eat, all she needs to do is eat. There's no reason why she should be afraid. We have children who are in hospital who are being told, one of the parents was told last week, your daughter is in hospital a month. She She should just be eating now. So how did Ireland reach this breaking point? And what is the impact on the families of the people who cannot get the care and the treatment that they need. And just to say before we start that we have changed the names of Sam and Rachel to protect their privacy. Kitty Holland is social affairs correspondent with the Irish Times and she's written about the lack of healthcare supports for eating disorder patients. Kitty, according to your reporting, there are currently just three eating disorder beds for adults in the HSE system and four inpatient mental health units for teenagers. How does this correspond with the actual demand for these services? 
Well, I mean, I suppose in some ways it's difficult to know because there's obviously probably an awful lot of undiagnosed eating disorders out there. And the HSE doesn't really release figures on how many people that are being treated for eating disorders, though they did release some um, statistics at the beginning of the year saying that during lockdown, demand for eating disorder services had gone up by 66%. And I, I have heard story after story after story of, of adults and young young adults who need an inpatient eating disorder service and can't get it. And the fact that there are just three beds in that in Vincent's Hospital in Dublin, that's in its one catchment area that serves South Dublin, Dunleary and North Wicklow. And you have to live in those areas to even qualify for those beds. So effectively, there's no inpatient eating disorder beds for anyone outside that kind of small area in the east of the country. And can you talk a bit about what's needed in terms of specialist treatment and psychiatry supports here in Ireland? Well, it's a really misunderstood illness and it, it requires really specialised approach. To explain what happens, if, you know, if, if someone goes to their GP or to the hospital with, a, with an eating disorder, if they're admitted to hospital, if it means that they have to be admitted to hospital, if you're not in that catchment area where the three eating disorder beds are, or if you're under 18, access to one of the, the adolescent child mental health services inpatient, you'll be admitted to a general psychiatric ward. And I've spoken to families where their loved one is in a general psychiatric ward and with the best will in the world. The doctors and nurses just aren't trained. They may be trained in psychiatric nursing and psychiatric medical care. And I have spoken to families who will say that, yes, the nurses were very kind. Yes, the doctors were very kind, but they did not understand what is going on with the person who has the eating disorder. People don't understand, they can't get their heads around it. It seems such a straightforward illness, a bit like, you know, alcoholism, just stop drinking with an eating disorder, just eat. So people are are not getting the services they need. And what they need is um, specialised services. And that's not available in Ireland. It is available if you have health insurance. Um, There's quite a good range of services available if you've got private health insurance. But if you are a young person in a family that doesn't have private health insurance, you really don't. The services just don't exist. So does the lack of specialist services mean a lot of people are actually being forced to travel abroad to places like London for their treatment? I mean, are we just sporting this healthcare crisis instead of investing in the necessary services here at home? That's the thing. I mean, we are to a, to an extent. I mean, and I'm sure if someone from the HSE was listening to this, they would say we are providing services. We are, you know, we're doing our best. But it's just the services aren't there. And you could understand it if it was a kind of a one in a million experience that, um, you know, it, anorexia was something that very rarely happened. Um, but it's a, it's becoming more and more common. And the services really have to be provided here. And we, like everything, you know, our abortion and our people in poverty and our children with special needs. We do just keep exporting them, exporting these issues. This is yet another one. It's, a, it's an illness and a condition that I think because it affects women mostly, it, there's less attention given to it and less motivation to really try and understand it, which is worrying. So Kitty, as the system currently stands, a person suffering from a severe eating disorder must be made a ward of the High Court in order to receive involuntary refeeding treatment. Can you explain why it's currently necessary for the courts to be involved in all of this? I suppose one of the really sort of horrific um, aspects of anorexia nervosa, when it gets really gets a grip on the person and really takes over their mind, um, is that they, you know, they lose so much weight that the body to survive starts shutting down certain 
certain bodily functions to keep the necessary organs going. And this is the kind of biologically what's going on. So a woman will start to stop, have periods. Um, she may, her eyesight may go a little blurry, but the brain functioning also stops to work as efficiently. Um, and certainly the kind of intellectual um, thinking part of the brain. And when her when a body when the body mass index in the body gets so weak and so low, it is necessary to feed the person just to get their brain functioning to a point where they can engage with the psychiatric treatment. To do that requires nasogastric feeding. And that's quite a, a painful procedure and the patient will have to be restrained. Now, in other common law jurisdictions, this is a part, it's a recognised part of the psychiatric treatment um, of a severe eating disorder. And the patients don't have to be, they might have to be sectioned in Britain. They might have to be sectioned under their mental health legislation, but that doesn't mean having to go to court. Here, it means going to court to get a, make a wardship application because it is felt they don't have the capacity to give consent for the nasogastric feeding. And doctors here the HSE goes to the High Court to get a wardship application. The other reason why someone they may make a wardship application in cases of anorexia is if they they don't have the capacity to give consent to be taken to the UK for treatment. So they're the two main reasons why the courts will get involved in the treatment of an anorectic patient. What impact do campaigners believe removing the need for the High Court wardship would have on the patients themselves who are suffering from anorexia? Well, I suppose it would just take the whole legal courts dimension out of it. You know, often these families have been through, always they've been through the absolute mill um, in terms of, you know, accessing services. Their their loved one is in hospital. They're you know, having meetings with doctors and social workers and their sleepless nights, all of that. And then they get to the point where obviously their loved one there is so ill that she needs to be force fed effectively. And then they're having to go into court. And they're having to get legal teams and new doctors having to make assessments because the court would want to employ its own independent doctor. They would have to explain everything to a judge. For patients, um, families outside Dublin, that involves a trip to Dublin to the High Court. Um, And the delay, obviously, as well, you know, rather than just getting on with the trauma of um, the tube feeding. It's a whole palaver, I suppose. It's just unnecessary, traumatic, expensive and would be an awful lot better without it. Sam, when did you begin to notice the very first signs of Rachel's eating disorder? I I suppose the first time that we really noticed it was around Christmas time and she wasn't coming to the table. And I was conscious that there was a little bit of a pattern, that, that she, wasn't, she wasn't eating with us. She was in college full time. Uh, she was playing a lot of sport as well at the time. And, and this one day, I preempted that she, was going to say, that she was going to say that she wasn't hungry. And I said it to her at that point, and she agreed. After a little while, after chatting to her for a little bit, she agreed that... Yes, she was having difficulties. And so immediately we went and we got, we went to our GP, which is always and should always be the first port of call. And from there went to John God's, where she attended as an outpatient briefly and then was admitted as an inpatient. Her condition deteriorated um, and she was admitted to uh, one of the specialised eating disorder beds, one of the only adult specialised eating disorder beds in Ireland. 
because she wasn't eating properly, she needed to have an NG tube and fed through a tube for a period of time. Um, after that, um, we were told in the April that she was going to be discharged um, and if she deteriorated again, that they would not readmit her back into the unit, that there was no more that they could do for her. We were told uh, she had a, had exemplary care and that there was just no more to offer her. So we requested a letter to bring her to an eating disorder, specialised eating disorder unit in London where she might get a second opinion and get another chance. We were refused that. And because at the time uh, she was under court order, we uh, requested through the courts that she would have a second chance, have another chance in another unit. And through the courts, they did eventually agree after a lot of court hearings and an awful, awful, awful lot of stress and anxiety to both Rachel and ourselves, the courts did agree and the HSE did agree to send her to London. Rachel was 20, right, when this all began. What has this, these six years been like for you, your husband and your and your children? Really hard. Really, 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 really hard. I mean, there's no doubt about it for anybody to see their child struggling no matter no matter what struggle it is in their lifetime for us to see our children struggling is really really hard I I remember my husband putting a quote out to me is a parent is happy as their unhappiest child Um, my other kids had said to me at one point is they had thought they had lost their parents because we were we were so committed to trying to help Rachel it certainly put put a lot of it puts a lot of stress on family relations on 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 a marriage, um, and I suppose what they always say about it: an eating disorder, an eating disorder will try and break every relationship that is around that person. It's not it's not it's not Rachel. She didn't choose to have an eating disorder, um, and she's fighting really hard to get rid of it. But the nature of the beast of an eating disorder is that it will break every relationship that's around. And Sam, you're now involved with the support group CARED, which stands for Caring About Recovery from an Eating Disorder. But what was your journey like trying to get support as a family? I suppose I'm very happy to be able to say that with the support in particular that we got with a family therapist in in London, that we have come through the other side of this from a family standpoint or for other children are getting on with their lives. It's still it's still huge in the family, but, but they are getting on with their lives. I suppose the hardest part in an awful lot of ways is there is no significant support for parents and carers. When Rachel got sick early on, uh, we attended a workshop up in the north of Ireland the Maudsley Hospital in London had set up this programme which was being facilitated in the north of Ireland. So uh, my husband and I went up and a few months later our, our other children came up and attended it as well and it was very, very powerful. And it was powerful in the sense that it made us realise we weren't alone in this. It made us realise that we weren't responsible for this. It made us realise that our daughters, our sons, or loved ones weren't responsible for having an eating disorder. This is not something that they chose. 
any parents and carers that are out there that are struggling, that are feeling alone, that are feeling they're on their own, they're not. Um, caredireland at gmail.com. That's what we're there for is to support anybody who wants to be supported or wants a little bit of help or just to know they're not on their own. Coming up, Kitty Holland shares her own personal experience of living with an eating disorder. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Kitty, this topic that you've been reporting on for a while is something that's actually very personal to you because you had to deal with a serious eating disorder as a teenager and young woman. Could you tell us a bit about your personal experience of the illness? I had, yeah, I developed anorexia between the ages of about 15, 16, and I would say 2021. 20, I had it for about five years. And to be honest, I don't, I'm 49 now. I wouldn't say I was fully, fully free of it until I was probably in my mid thirties. Even still, I would, you know, I don't like to eat when I'm not hungry. I have a bit of a phobia about some foods. Um, so it's, it's something that really, really does get in, get in on you. For me, I think it's, I know it started um, very soon after my parents broke up. It was a way of feeling a sense of control over a life that felt like I had no control over it. So it starts as a diet. It started as I didn't like my thighs. I I wanted to lose some weight. I felt I had to double chin, you know, all those kind of basic insecurities you have when you're about 15. But it started to serve a function that I liked. I liked how it made me feel when I lost weight, how I liked when I saw the needle go down on the scales. I liked the feeling of being hungry. That gave me a real sense of power that I could deny myself food. It provided a world for me that I had control over and that made me feel strong and powerful. And it also was something that I felt was mine and no one could take it away from me. Also, it was a way, I suppose, of expressing to my parents that all was not well um, because they began to worry about me. And I liked that because I wanted the attention that I didn't feel I had been getting before. And it starts to really control your life then because you don't want to go to things where you might have to eat and you don't want to have to explain why you're not eating. So you start to not see your friends anymore. The the terrible thing is then, I suppose, when I got to the point where I, I was hospitalized twice and where I got to the point where I was 
about six stone, I think. And I went under six stone. And the psychiatrist I was seeing at the time, she said to me when I just had lost weight yet again for another week, she said, um, I'm not going to treat you anymore. You're not you're not trying. Basically, you're not it's not working. And I realized at that point I had a choice. I can either keep going with this or it kills me. The thing that I feel is so misunderstood about anorexia is that even when you get to the point, as I did, where I didn't want to do this anymore, it was a really, really, really difficult to overcome because it was serving all these functions for me. And I didn't know what life would be like without it. I spent six months in hospital and then there was lots of aftercare, you know, aftercare, weekly meetings and all the rest of it. And I would go, I'd say, I'd say, although I was able to function when I came out and I was kind of better, I was still, I was still anorexic really for about another, another, I was still anorexic for probably the guts of another decade. And what about that perception that I think existed a lot more when you were younger, when I was younger, and I hope it doesn't exist as much now, the, ah, well, she just cop on and eat belief. Do you think that's getting any better? I don't know, because I hear from families about their children, their young women, their young daughters being in hospital. And while nurses and staff can be very kind, things have been said to them like, do you realise how selfish you're being? Why are you doing this to your parents? Really making it as if this is something that they want to do. And I suppose it is like when I say it's like an addiction, you do have to get to the point where you want to get better. You know, you can't force someone to just stop being anorexic. So to just tell someone to stop doing it or to to look at what they're doing to other people, they know what they're doing to other people. Like I knew how distressed my mother was. I knew how upset my brother was. Uh, like, And I knew I didn't want to live that life anymore. I knew how lonely I was. Um, going to get upset now, but like, you can't just stop. The food is such a tiny part of it. It's unpicking all the stuff that has made not wanting to eat and wanting to fade away so uh, attractive, you know, and because it's an it's an escapism. Like when I was when I was ill, there was a book out at the time called A Gilded Cage. That's exactly what it was like. It was like it was this gilded world you create for yourself of safety and, you know, slimness and, you know, all the things a, a girl is meant in inverted commas to be. But it becomes a prison. It's also a place of safety. So it's so complicated. And walking away from the prison and escaping from the prison is also walking away from everything you know and everything you've constructed for yourself and the identity you have constructed for yourself and um, and the safety and the sense of who you are that you have constructed for yourself. And that's terrifying. So what is it that needs to happen right now? The first thing that needs to happen is that Mary Butler, who is our Minister of State for Mental Health, needs to, I think, recognise the crisis that is out there, um, that women are dying. Women are having to go to England to get services because the you know the services aren't here, and to, to recognise that this is a real crisis and the ripple effects for families. You know, people 
are devastated by what's happening and it's it's a growing problem and in the morning what needs to happen is that there needs to be a recognition at that this is a real crisis for young women that is growing across Ireland and uh, and that it's it's killing people it's simple as that Sam, what would be your message to the HSC now regarding what needs to happen to improve these services? We need a hospital unit like any of the hospital units in England. They have units that are specific for eating disorders, that the nursing staff are trained in eating disorders and understand what eating disorders are all about. It's, it's not like any other psychiatric illness. It, it, it's just not. So we need staff and dietitians and therapists and nurses and psychiatrists and psychologists who understand what eating disorders are about and what, what it's like for the patient and the families and, and to include them. Because actually the bottom line is we, we can bring our patients into hospital, but then they're discharged to home. And if we're not part of the team and if we're not included in it, how, how do we know how to look after them? So what, what, what would I like to see? I'd like to see the Mount Carmel Hospital, which has been closed to my understanding. I'd like to see that made into an eating disorder unit for, for adults, adolescents and children and bring your team in there. And that's their area of expertise. And from all the news reports, we have more than enough patients. Sam, can you tell me, how is Rachel doing now? How has your daughter been recently? Uh, she, she's not well at the moment, actually. She's, um, she's back in hospital. She's in a public hospital uh, here in Dublin. She has an amazing psychiatrist who is so understanding, so compassionate, so dedicated, and, and has a team around her of junior doctors and nurses whom she has given all those qualities to and are, are just amazing. And, and they get it. They've not had any formal training either, but they get it from their team leader. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. It's, it's tough. It's really, really tough. Um, but we find the positives. And, and we always have the hope. And as long as we have the hope, then then that's what keeps us going. Sam, thank you so, so much for sharing your story with us today. If you've been affected by any of the issues discussed in today's episode, please do visit bodywise.ie for more information. That's all for today. You can read more of Kitty's social affairs coverage on irishtimes.com. In the news, we'll be back on Wednesday. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.